Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Hi, writers. Welcome to episode number 65 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I am so glad that you're here. I am especially glad this week because this week I speak to Michelle Spiva, and she's going to blow your mind. Honestly, I have great guests on the show. I have never not loved somebody that I've interviewed because I'm really lucky that way. Um, but Michelle Spiva just rocked my world. She is going to rock yours. I can 100% guarantee you that if she doesn't rock your world, email me and I will give you back the money you paid to listen to the show. <laughs> um, but seriously, she is somebody that you're going to want to know, that you're going to want to follow. Um, I want to do anything she does. I want to follow her teachings. I want to go hear her speak. Um, she is great. I can't hype her up enough. So I think that you are going to love the show. In personal update, I'm going to keep it really brief because I'm really, really busy. Um, there's a certain time when my Berkeley class overlaps with my Stanford class in terms of turning papers in. So I'm in the weeds when it comes to grading. I need to hop off this podcast and do a bunch more grading. And uh, also in the weeds with writing, but I have finished the revision on the thriller. And um, like I said in my email, if you get my writer's news uh, newsletter, uh, I still have to get to the very end, though. I'm still... 6,000, maybe 8,000 words shy of the end, which drives me crazy, but that's my process. I write up to the end. I don't write the end. I revise the whole book and then finally I get the end. So that's where I am right now, which is a pretty exciting time because that's fun. You're racing downhill. There's only one ending for this book, thank God. And I'm racing there. So, so that's been fun. I am headed out tomorrow or I can't remember when I'm heading out to LA for Writer's Digest conference. I'm giving three panels there. That should be fun. But I tell you what, I have been out of town four times in the last four weeks. And I'm looking forward to unpacking my suitcase completely and leaving it empty for at least a month or two, I'm hoping. So uh, that makes me sound very glamorous and jet setting. And I really am not you guys, you know me, I'm normally at this desk surrounded by all the dogs that you can see walking around me. Um, so I'm very grateful to be able to travel the way I have been doing. Uh, but I'm also a homebody and I want to be home. So I'm going to hop off this recording because Michelle and I talk a little bit longer than we normally do on the show and you're going to love every single freaking second of it. So enjoy. I wish you very happy writing. I hope that um, you're having fun on the page. And if you're not, Try having fun on the page. Do 1,000 words of something that just delights you, even if it's not in what you're writing right now, even if it's nothing to do with the book that you're working on or the essay that you're working on. Um, I dare you to write 1,000 words of something that is a delight for you. So happy writing. Talk to you soon. Enjoy this interview. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my Stop Stalling and Write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. Okay, well, you guys, I could not be more pleased today to welcome Michelle Spiva. Hello, Michelle. 
Hello, Rachel. How are you? Oh, I'm just so tickled you could be on the show. Let me give you a little introduction and then I'm just going to jump in and pepper you with questions. So, Michelle Spiva, define, harness, and propel your unique creative brilliance. That's what you'll discover during an encounter with Michelle Spiva, which you guys are going to encounter right now, uh, with an MBA finance, MA psych, master's of divinity with an education concentration, dang, and 20 plus years experience as a psychotherapist and corporate finance strategist. Michelle's approach to all things publishing and personal management is relevant, contemporary, and useful wisdom. Experience Michelle's witty and common sense approach to thriving as a consistently productive and profitable author. Michelle, I first heard you on um, Simon's Rock and Cell Publishing, and I just fell in love with your whole being, your energy, the way that you not only produce tons of books, um, tons of well-regarded books that I cannot wait to read. One's already queued up on my Kindle. Uh, the, the Michael, I forgot, I forgot the last name. Michael, Michael Daniels. Yes. Michael <laughs> Daniels, M-Y-C-H-A-L Daniels. Um, so, so you're, you're productive, but you're also, you also share generously of your knowledge and how you got to where you are. So, um, how, it's, this is a random question, but how many books have you published? Do you know? Mm-hmm. I get asked that all the time. Um, <laughs> published uh oh, i need to update uh published 44 Holy but God. still where you can but still where you can get them 37 no 44, no look at me 36 uh no that's not right i'm sorry <laughs> 31 oh my gosh oh my gosh i'm i'm it, it it all runs together, and uh, yeah. there's a reason why I had to calculate that because uh, my first few years I was in my hot mess uh, phase. I think I was I was trying to be uh, loving hip hop, uh, <laughs> Real Housewives, and all of that because it, it was just horrible. Yeah. Uh, the, the stories were just horrible. I was self taught, so it was a mess. And uh, so when I decided to go full time, I uh, decommissioned those books, set up a whole new account and everything. And then wow. the hard drive that they lived on on an old computer died. So I don't even have them anymore. But they were all little short erotics. They were they were cute. They that's what got me into writing. I just broke into a full sweat, though, just just at that thought. But I've never heard anybody say that, that they. They put up and pulled down because I do have this theory that, that, and, and people hate hearing this, but I, I don't know if many of us should ever publish those first couple of books. You know, I really don't. And I always advocate for people, well, if you really want to publish, put it up, but you know, but be okay with taking it down if you get really bad reviews and people hate it because you might just be oh, in this yeah. learning process. But I love that you actually did that, but I hate that you lost them. Oh my God. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know, the thing that I, um, the thing that I had to realize was that it was meant to be yeah. because what happens if I ever, ever decide that, I mean, not me, but if something like globally happens and people can go find those and they'll be like, <laughs> I mean, they were blood curdling bad. <laughs> I bet they weren't as bad as you think they were, but I bet they're not as good as what you have now. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll say just, with those, I was preoccupied. I was in a um, master's to PhD program, and I could tell when I went back and looked at them when I decided to go full time that I was not committed mm. to them. It was kind of like when I was writing them, I was like, "Oh, this might be fun," and just writing craziness and putting it up uh, to make uh, the ends meet right. while I was 
full. And so when I decided to go full time, I mean, the books did well enough for me to make that jump. Um, I was like, that mind that wrote those books is not the mind that's going to take me into this seriously. So that was another reason. I love that. That's so, so smart. Well, tell us about then what in, you do so much. What is your writing process like on a day-to-day basis? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I actually just showed somebody this yesterday. Um, I like to really keep things as simple as possible. Um, I uh, have been writing in Scrivener for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rachel, I just changed. Uh-uh. What? Yeah. I, I didn't change the Scrivener as a repository for everything I do. Cause I mean, you know, it's that, such a good place to hold everything. Yeah. yeah. It holds everything. So like all my plots and all that kind of stuff, it works. But what I have done and I'm going to just tell you now, I am singing their praises. Grammarly. It is the truth. What? Oh my God. I, ooh, my editors love me now. I mean, well, they like me better than they used to. Because I uh, have been hearing about this and I haven't tried it. What do you like about it? Okay. Well, first of all, it auto-updates as you write, just like Scrivener would, across platforms. So, no joke. I was writing one of my chapters and I had to go to the grocery store and I was uh, a thought came to me. I... <laughs> Don't judge me, but I have this little um, Chromebook, uh-huh. and I took it with me, you know, because I was I knew I was in the in the mode of of writing this scene, but I had to go to the grocery store, and I took it, and right when I was about to leave the grocery store, the thought hit. I t- I took that little Chromebook, opened it up to Grammarly, uh, you know, because you can do it desktop or online, and I kept writing, didn't miss a beat. I didn't and know it had that functionality, and yeah, and so you can set it. I mean, can you tell? I mean, I'm just all thirsty about this thing. I'm I'm so excited to try it. How much does it cost? Um, Well, they do it. You can do do it either monthly or yearly. And, you know, if you search around, you can get uh, discounts. Um, I pay, I think I pay like $139, $140. But to pay just a bit over $10 a month, that helps me save so much on my editing and revision costs. It is well worth it. It is one of the best things I've done. Now, I do need to say this. It has a limit that they can go up to. And so I have found that I only write about five chapters at a time. And then I pull them back down into Scrivener or because um, I, I format in Vellum, Scrivener, yeah, yeah. Vellum, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this is what I do. And, and you're, you're going I to love this. I love this. So when I want to start uh, writing now, uh, if I'm going to write something fast and for me, something fast is anywhere from uh, like 15K to about 50K. <laughs> Uh, what I do is I just answer five questions that I've come up with over my time as a full-time writer. And um, I need to say that I'm not a writer. I am a storyteller. Mm. And once I realized that, my whole approach changed. And so because of that, I'm not trying to tell a story. You know what I'm trying to do, Rachel? I'm trying to make you go to the bathroom when I say you can go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love that. the heck out of a story that keeps you engaged. So everything I'm doing has nothing to do with a story. It has to do with what I want to do to seduce you. So therefore 
I found that I wasn't plotting like everybody was plotting. So let me just tell you real fast, five things. So the oh, first yeah. thing I do is I decide on what kind of emotion I really want this reader to have. And when I say I want them to have, I mean, what am I really feeling or able to just show out on at that particular time? You know, um, right now, I am really feeling um, the need to have some power with all of the stuff that's going on, you know, with the women's stuff and harassment yes. and all that stuff. Yes. So I've, I've really been dealing with uh, being taken for granted, misunderstood and those types of things. So those are some of the emotions mm. uh, that I have been targeting uh, for readers. Like I want them to know, I see you. I understand. Girl, I got you or guy, I got you. After that, I figure out some kind of way that I can get them to empathize with me. I don't want you sympathizing with my character. I just want you to say me too. So the next thing I do is I'll think of some kind of little scenario where I'm like, what can I get this reader to read? And they say, me too. And that's how my hook starts. So my empathy, that me too moment is the hook of how I'll start a book. And I, I want that. it. Yeah, I kind of want it to be a little shocking or it, I, I want it to either be funny, shocking or curiosity building. So those are like my three top ones that I do. And yeah, I'm telling you all the goods. You, but, uh, I re I'm like observing. Keep, keep talking. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. OK, so those are the first two things. My emotion that I want with the reader, the uh, empathy that I want to get that reader to have. And that's what starts to dictate what kind of story I'm going to write. I usually already know my genres that I'm writing in. So I know the rules mm -hmm. of what has to happen and what they expect. But once I have those, then that's when I start moving into uh, what the big end will be. I used to avoid it. I used to just be writing and like, it'll come to me. But now I have learned that I want to kill that ending. And how I do that is instead of figuring out what has to happen in the story, I figure out where I want the reader to end up. And for me, my sell through has increased because when I figure that out as a storyteller, as an entertainer, I'm looking at it like a, um, a actor or a comedian. When you leave this place, I want you telling everybody about what you just experienced. And so it's not And the, the funny thing is I have realized that it's not about being so big and over the top as much as it is being realistic for what I want to impress and inspire them with. If I want to get them to think counter to where they've been thinking, if I want them to consider a new perspective or if I want them to get courage or um, examples of stuff, that's where I go. So. I call that my evolution of where my reader starts and where I want them to end. And the way I do that now, you're going to think I'm a nerd and crazy, but I figure out my dilemma for the story and the way I do that. And I, I, I and I'm sorry, I'm, I, I'm talking so fast, but I just got through teaching this to a group of students and they hated me for it. But now that they've been forced to do it, they're like, Oh my God, this works. And so with the dilemma, the, the, the dilemma is the choice that you want 
the reader to make through your character and you want it to be nail biting. You want it. To, you want them to feel it. You want them to almost be embarrassed or whatever it is. You want them to really feel that emotion that you decided on. Mm-hmm. And the way I do it, and I learned this from a script writing class is you choose either two goods or two bads and they both have, out, you know, the same outcome, but there is, you know, some little skin in the game. So, for instance, a two two goods. I write romance, as you possibly know. Mm-hmm. Two of my goods would be, um, she gets to keep the money <laughs> and save the family, or she gets to um, keep the money and go away with the with the guy. The drawback is that she won't be able to stay you know, where, where her family is either way or something like that. Right. So, I, I always so they're mutually little... exclusive. These, these mm-hmm. goods. Okay. Yeah. Same thing with the bads. Uh, they both have the same outcome. Uh, Cause I used to get it twisted. I used to have it where it was an either or. And when I went through that screenwriting class, I was like, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Whatever they're going to end up with, they're going to end up with it, but you just give them two ways to get there. And you make, even if it's good, you make a drawback. But if it's bad, you know, like I had just finished up one where her dilemma was she was going to die. You know, now, of course, in romance, we have happy ever after. So wink, wink, she didn't die. <laughs> but, but I had it where either she shoot the guy or she, um, you know, gets exploded. Yes, yes, don't judge me. I go there. <laughs> She gets explode, you know, she gets into this, she um, explodes her van that has all of this technology in it. Either way, the choices are, I'm going to die. I got these two decisions. So I hope that makes sense. It makes so so much sense. It's actually just kind of blowing my mind up right now that, that I've never thought about that either, ever. I've always, I've always had the either or. Mm -hmm. And what, and I'll tell you from that book that I just finished, the dilemma, how it goes back into the empathy and the emotion. So the emotion that I wanted for her was I wanted her to get over herself. She was all in this victim mode of, oh, they hate me. I'm a woman, blah, blah, blah. I'm in the technology, you know, STEM field and blah, blah, blah. Nobody, you know, just the pity party. And the, so that was the emotion of the angst of being misunderstood, taken for granted or whatever you want to call it. The, um, the, um, Empathy that I, 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 I used when I opened it up, I showed her and I have a rule, Rachel, all my heroines, they either can't they can't work for somebody. They are going to get fired or they're, they have their own business. So that's just a personal rule. <laughs> so she's gotten fired and she's determined that she's going to still do her research and she's out uh, like living on the land trying to do her research with no money and I really build up that she's determined, you know, she might not know exactly what she's doing, but I get the reader to say, Oh, me too. I would do that too. If they did that to me. And so step number three is that dilemma Dilemma. where I've got her, where she has the power to decide the most ultimate thing. I'm going to die, but I'm going to die on my terms. Yeah. On my, you know, my terms. Yeah. So once I, once I figure out how I'm going to end it, then my step number four for me is I want to now explore all the different ways that I can intrigue, induce, hoodoo, if you will, the reader through all of the things that are going to take her from that hook that I want in the beginning to that dilemma. 
And then once I explore that, I mean, it's kind of like I, I go deep and I, then I go wide. And once I explore that, then I put in um, the character stuff, what we would call the character development. I start putting in what experiences she must have in order for this to be realistic. So, for instance, I knew I was going to have to have her in the woods. Girl, I had to go back in there and make sure she was a Girl Scout. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, those kind of things. Perfect. That, that's my process, my five. Once I get that, I have a book. I know it sounds crazy, but I am not a traditional writer. And, and I was doing all of that plotting, and it would change anyway. <laughs> I... With, I love it so much. And what you're talking, it makes perfect sense. And what you're talking about is what I really love that you're saying here is you are thinking really explicitly about the reader and the mm -hmm. reader's expectations, emotions, and, um, and all that goes on with the reader rather than I think a lot of us start out with like, well, what do I want the character to do? What do I, what, how, do, how am I going to shape the character? You're talking about shaping the reader, mm -hmm. which is That's why huge. That's why my word of mouth is so big. I don't really try to market as much anymore um, because I am blessed to have loyal fans. Because when I tell you I do the PP test, if you're reading one of my books, that, especially that I've written in the last year or so, like I said, you're not going to that bathroom to I say you go <laughs> because I am I am giving you the show of my life with all the resources I have up to that moment. And it is um, it's not over the top. I believe that if I'm going to ask you to suspend disbelief, then I got to give you a great reason to believe in what I'm suspending, you know, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, just so. So once I have that and I, I'll be honest with you, it takes me it takes me a about a, an hour or so to run through those five because I do the top of my head. What comes to the top of my head? And then I put it aside because I'm usually working on something else and, you know, something will come to me. I put it aside for maybe a few hours or the next day. And then I come back and I look at some of the experiences and things like that. And then guess what I do? I start writing. You I jump. You just jump right in. And the reason why is uh, I, I don't know if you've heard me say this, but I really believe this with my heart that we are mortal beings pooping out immortality. And therefore, there is a cost to be paid. And that cost is we are to be these funnels of individual creative drive that the creative force comes through. If I do so much plotting, I am causing myself to suffer and I'm selfish. I don't want to suffer any more than I have to. Now, I do want to say this as a disclaimer. If we're talking about people who are just starting out with writing, plot. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah. Learn, the learn, learn that. Learn that. So then learn. you can break it. Yeah, because like I see, I was like, somebody tell me one more time about Mrs. Stephen King. Now I applied and I'll be like, but Stephen been writing for 50 years and you have it. He knows story backwards and forwards. So yes. he doesn't need it. Right. I even, one of my students was like, well, I don't want to plot. I was like, but your story suck if. <laughs> So, um, well, I think, that, and, and I always, and I talk about this often that I think a lot of us with our first book, we accidentally hit the right story structure because we've internalized it over so many years of living in Western civilization and absorbing TVs and movies. But then when we tried to do it for that second book, 
we that's when we that's when I personally realized I didn't know how to write a story. I'd accidentally got it wrong. So that's when I had to learn all the structure. But then, yeah, once you know it. Yeah. And there are, you know, and of course, the age old pants or a plotter. What I tell people now and um, me being a uh, psychotherapist for years, I had to find different modalities to get people to make the leaps and no two people think alike. And so for some of my people who hate plotting, I'm like, draw it out. So what I do is I give them the Kurt Vonnegut um, um, story shapes. And I'm like, honey, we just draw in hills, peaks and valleys yep, yep, yep. and just follow that. If you are up and you know it's time to go down, follow that. Go down. <laughs> yeah. And people get it. Uh, if I am dealing with my analyticals, my um, people who have the Socratic method, I'm talking about my engineers, my lawyers. They make great writers, by the way. They do. So many uh, lawyers. Yeah. Uh, they great writers. Uh, I will then give them uh, the plotting stuff because, I mean, I did. I don't I don't want to be confused. I know how to plot. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've taught it. I've, I've lived it. I've. So I think the only reason why I'm able to do those five questions for the reader and then start writing is because it's in me. I have practiced uh, to build that skill of what a story needs. I mean, Rachel, I do this with subplots. I mean, now I'll write down uh, some of the subplots, but the subplots are simply there to like really give, you know, my readers the, oh, she did that. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't know how she was going to bring that around, but she did that. That story click, you know, we, we, we do all of that. And um, so going back to my Grammarly. So the first thing I do is when I write, I have two ways that I write. I write ugly and I, I write meaningful. And uh, there is um, this this training on uh, the way we think. And it's system one and system two. System one is the easy stuff. It's the you know, what's your name? My name is Michelle. You know, you don't have to think about it is intuitive. Mm-hmm. It's up and out. And uh, that's sprinting uh, for us writers. Mm-hmm. And so when I tell people uh, I write system one first and then system two. System two is the more logical. It is looking for the structure, the bones, the clarity and all of those types of things. So how my my typical day is set up. When I am uh, writing, first of all, I get in my mind that I would love to write one, two or three chapters, depending on what I know needs to happen. Uh, if it's my opening, I'm only trying to concentrate on one to two chapters because I write slower in the beginning, finding the voice mm-hmm. that I do. Once I get girl, once I get past chapter eight, forget about it. It's over. I can do that. <laughs> uh, you know, so when I write so and it's so funny. I'm actually I'm putting together a little training for the first 2000 words. I find that my Fantastic. students have a hard time getting those first 2000 words out because they don't know. You need to introduce your main character before you start talking about the walls and the ceilings and the, and the storms. Because otherwise we, we don't, don't care. Yeah, yeah, we don't care. You know, just certain little rules that we don't say they're rules, but that makes that's the difference between a great read and a meh. So um, when I start the the writing, the first thing I am my whole goal is to quickly introduce who my main character is. Once I have done that, I usually get it into my first sentence. Uh, I have her either talking or a narrative telling her name, introducing what she does or whatever. 
Once I have done that, then I immediately move into how do I get this reader to start empathizing with this girl? Why does her story get to be told out of all the others out there? Mm -hmm. What makes her so great? You know, that's the no like trust kind of thing. And that that empathy is usually that one of the, that scenario that I did in that those five. And I'll do that. Um, I have <laughs> I have published. I'm never going to tell this one, but I have published one where the girl was on a walking trail with no access to the bathroom <laughs> and had to go in the woods. Instant and really, empathy. Exactly. Instant empathy. So now <laughs> the reader cares. <laughs> I mean, does that make sense, Rachel? Yes, absolutely. 100%. So I really try to make sure that in my first 500 words, I have done at least three things. I have introduced my character, introduced uh, a scenario that gets, gets my reader to empathize, and then I have planted the seed of what kind of emotion, mm. the promise that I'm going to give you mm-hmm. and that this story is going to do as a tool for you. So if I, the first 500 words, that's what I want. I want those three things happening. And you're doing all of this in Grammarly still. And yep. then pulling it out and putting it in a Scrivener. Uh-huh. And the thing is, is you can export it directly to the Microsoft Word if you want. But but what Grammarly, as you're typing, is saying, that's wrong. Oh, that's not grammar. You know, <laughs> it, gives, it gives you, it's like, Girl, I didn't know. I didn't even know how. I was like, oh, my God, I have been dangling my modifiers like a hussy. And, you know, it catches all that stuff. And you can tell it to check for um, if it's a novel as opposed to a regular writing. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, there's so many different um, options it has. And like I said, I've tried all the ones. I'm, I have uh, I have the autocrit. I shouldn't be naming them. I have Gingerly. Gingerly just does not, I mean, it would just hikes my, hijacks my system. Can, and I, sometimes- can I ask you, does Grammarly show when you repeat a word too much? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I need. That's the thing I can never see. I thought I said that at the first. My, my editors, the word too, T-O. Mine is but, but is I'll have it 17 times on a page and I didn't know it. Yeah. Now I will say this. They tell you too much. So they'll uh, now. Okay. I, I, I need to, I need to preface that. If you have it back to back, like, you know, sometimes we'll say two, two or, but, but, um, it'll say, you know, get rid of that. But for most of the contractions, conjunctions and those types of things, A and B, but it's not going to say it. It's too repetitive. What it does is it tells you you've used this word too much and you can click on it and it'll give you a thesaurus of other words you can use. Or if you, yeah, so if you right click on it, it'll give you a thesaurus. If you just click on it, it'll expand why it told you repetitive and it'll give you some more considerations. And so it has replaced a lot of the apps I use. Like I have Hemingboard. Um, and I do have a process that I take my books through. So it used to be, I would write in Scrivener, then I would put it in Microsoft Word, clean that up. Then I would move it over to Hemingway. Then I'd use Ginger. But once I got Grammarly, yes, once I got Grammarly and I realized that I could type up to, I think it depends on the bandwidth. Um, but I usually don't try to force more than about 12,000 words in there at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
before it because it won't it won't erase it it'll just say uh, boom you're done you know yeah yeah this is something nice like unfortunately we can't go much further here so you can't stick a whole novel in there but if you just focus on getting about you know 10,000 12,000 words in there when you move it over you're gonna be amazed at how clean it is does it bother you at all though when you're when you're seeing the errors land on the screen when you're in that first draft hurling the words of the page? Nah. Nah. I don't. And you know why I don't? It's because I have been teaching myself. I'm writing ugly and fast. I'm just getting words out. Because I know. Yeah. So I know. Like I'll I'll use the egg timer, eggtimer.com, e.gg timer.com. Or I'll use one of the Pomodoros. And I'll like to write for 50 minutes. And so I'll do the 50 minutes uh, writing ugly. And I'll take a break. And then depending on where I am, I'll probably do maybe three sessions of those so that I can get to about four or five thousand words. That's exactly what I do. Yeah, I do. I do 45s. I do three 45s and try to end up about four thousand words. Yeah. Yeah. So I do that. So those are the ugly writings. And it looks like blood has been spilt for a greater good. But I do it. (laughs) When I go back and do my like system two, where I'm actually paying attention, I'm an auditory person. And so I use a Mac. And what I do is I do um, text to speech. So I just highlight it in Grammarly. And I mean, I clean up what they say, but I highlight it in Grammarly. And she starts talking to me. Now I have her talk fast. She starts talking to me while I'm reading it. And then I start cleaning up stuff. And, um, you know, putting more stuff in there so that by the time I'm done, that's how I'm able to get like I usually get about sixty five hundred. Now, if it's to the wire and I know I got to hustle this week, I'm normally trying to get 10 to 15 K in a day and I can do it. But wow, not wow. the beginning of a book. Well, some of my books are like one hundred and twenty K. And I, yeah. I, I have to write those in, in four, uh, five to six weeks. So, you know, you can't dilly dally around. So that's my process. And are you cleaning up as you go then? So you do have a pretty polished draft when you're done. Oh, that's lovely. I so tend to that, do that thing where I throw everything at it and then I clean it up later, which which is great for my process, but it does mean that I just have, you know, a couple of weeks of just cleanup, shoveling the that, crap off the that page. That was the part that became overwhelming for me. Yeah. Because when I first started throwing stuff into Grammarly after I had done it, oh, and by the way, Grammarly gives you a score. I am an A student. I want a score. (laughs) (laughs) So I usually, I usually work until I have it at around 98. I will say when I first started throwing stuff into Grammarly last year, I was 77 to like 85. Wow. That is a big change. Now when I just write directly into Grammarly ugly, and I'm done. I'm usually an 88 to a 90. Grammarly has taught me a lot. And when I get done with that second pass, I'm usually sitting at about 99. You've definitely inspired me. When we get off this phone call, I'm just going to go get a month's worth and try it. It can't hurt. You know? Can't. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you all day, but this is a short podcast. So you've already told us so much advice. You've already <laughs> shared so many craft tips. Um, I would love, oh, this is what I'd really love to know from you. When you have those self doubt or dark days, which I'm sure 
please tell me you still have. Um, how do you deal with those dark days? Are there methods that you use to deal with that? Oh, yes, of course. Well, um, the, real quick, <laughs> one of the things that I, I do is I, I learn about quote unquote cycles. And uh, I actually just taught this at Nink for people. Oh, cool. Uh, that we're doing this. Uh, and this came from years of uh, having to quickly get an uh, understanding of people's personality issues. So real quick, there are four uh, that I can give you uh, that are uh, kind of like existential that we all deal with, but you yeah. may have some come up before more than others. So there's one that's called resistance. And it is where you are just so over this, you know, I'm just tired. Of Every, just, day. Uh, Every day. Every yeah. <laughs> day. I have resistance. So, yeah. Yeah. And with the resistance people, they have a problem with this word called passion because they don't naturally feel it. They think there's something wrong with them and they normally will get excited about something. And once they either master it or figure out that I don't like this, the passion leaves and it's hard for them to keep going. And so yes. if you're having yes. resistance, um, Stephen Pressfield did a whole book about it. The War of the Art. War of Art. It's wonderful. And he about resistance. That's that's those people. I have that. And when I realize that I'm like, oh, this is just my resistance to life acting up. And all I do to combat that is to know that if I just keep going one word at a time, instead of getting 3000 today on my, let me just get 250. If I can get 250, if I can get 12 sentences, 250, I'll be happy. And I do that. And then guess what happens? I start, you know, getting the momentum and uh, you keep going from there. But I just want to let you guys know, if you have resistance, do not think that because you don't have a passion for it, that it's not real. Resistance, people, that's not you. You're not the follow your passion person. You are the do it until it gets done. And then the passion will come when you get the accolades. Oh, yes. So the next one is a victim. And we go through that. This is when you find yourself sitting in your room by yourself and everybody's having fun and you know you got to get this book done and nobody has it as hard as me and I pay these bills around here and good God, keep up you, you know what I mean? And, and so with the victim, there's like this this triangular thing where you're you're all at once. You are the victim, you are the rescuer, and you are the persecutor. Rachel, real fast, this is what it looks like. I'm here stuck by myself. The persecutor. Well, nobody told you to sign up for that newsletter and to <laughs> to try to get this book out next week. That's on you. You did that. So then the rest here comes in and says, but you were trying to do a good thing. So it's OK. So if you are spiraling out and you know that you have some victim, understand is you are not alone. Uh, everybody is going through the same thing. And just give yourself some self-love and stop, you know, with the nobody has it as bad as me because it's an isolationist thing and you yeah. feel like alone. So if you need to go hug your child, your husband, your wife, a teddy bear or whatever and say, I'm not alone. There are other people going through this and we could go through it together. So that's number two. Number three is uh, self-identity. These are when you're cycling through this. This is the tell me who I am. These are the people that are going to go run, read the reviews, get upset and never write again. Mm. Don't because it is not about external validation. One of the things that I had to personally learn is that if I don't believe that I am the best freaking author that ever came, that it is a foregone conclusion that I can write my butt off. 
it will not matter. You will never get anything finished. It won't be up to par of what you think you can do because you have given your power away. Mm -hmm. So with that one, take the power back and please yourself. So when I like when I was talking earlier and I'm talking about me engaging the reader and I say things like you go into the bathroom when I say because I'm going to deliver with everything I've got for that. And I believe in myself. Um, I don't I don't need externals for me to do something. They're very nice to have, but they come and they don't keep me from doing what I need to. That's why now reviews and rejections and all this kind of stuff, they don't bother me like they used to because I know the average person giving me a one star, they ain't wrote no book. They don't know. And if the same thing happened to them, they'd be in the ditch crying. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I just, I I mean, you know, the last one is wordiness. And this one is the one where you find that imposter syndrome and a whole bunch of that stuff. Now, the problem with the the worthiness is if you are in this, you are either being extremely hypercritical or you're being pessimistic with a dash or a big heaping helping of procrastination. Ooh. This is the person who who does not want to write ugly. This is the person who does not want to have a meh book when they're first starting out. This is the person who a lot of times is fat on knowledge, but thinking that I have all this knowledge means I should be skilled, but they forgot the middle most important part is that you got to practice. Practice and practice. You've got to get those words out. And so those are the those are the four that I took from when I used to uh, counsel and consult and that I have now used with myself and with other authors because we do go through cycles. And what I'm guaranteeing you one of these four or a combination thereof is the culprit. And so if you just remember resistance, it's not about passion. It's about getting it done. Don't be over it. Get through it. Um, number two, with the victim. Everybody is in this together. You are not isolated. You are not unloved or or, or forgotten. Number three, uh, uh, the self-identity person, you have to believe you are the best writer you can be. And then people will confirm that. Don't wait for people to confirm that for you to feel like you're you're, you're, uh, able to do it. Take your power back. And then the worthiness people. Quit being so freaking hypercritical. You can tell a worthiness person. They're the ones, authors on other people's pages, talking about, I don't understand how she's making all these sales because she can't write that good. You know, you got worthiness issues. <laughs> I, I know a few of those. I think I, I have a few of those in my life. Oh, my gosh. Where, where do you live? <laughs> I live in Atlanta. You live too far from me because I need where you. you live? Clo- I live in Oakland. So <laughs> oh, I might be out that way pretty soon. If you are, I need to take you out for a drink or a cup of coffee. I would love that. Are you going to be at RWA National? Yeah. Okay. Um, in Denver, right? Denver this year. Yeah. If somebody I, approached me about possibly speaking. I don't know if that's going to happen or I not. I hope you do because everybody needs to go see you. I find you even more inspiring on this show than I did on Simon's. I just want to be around you and listen to everything you say. Can you please tell us where we can find you? And if you have a newsletter, because I would like to subscribe to it. On- oh my God. <laughs> I mean, who, who says that? Who says I want to subscribe to your newsletter? I really mean that. I get that a lot and I am horrific at my newsletter. Um, but if you, if you want the book one, it's michaeldaniels.com forward slash newsletter. Um, but if you want just me, um, I want both. Face, yeah, Facebook, I am, if you just go to my page, uh, it's michelle.spiva on Facebook. It's my, my, uh, 
profile. My page is follow Michelle Spiva. And um, because I have been getting, uh, I'm blessed, so blessed. I'm getting inundated with requests kind of like this. I'm going to be opening up a free um, inspo proto kind of uh, group to help keep people inspired to do what we do. So look out for that. I will look out for that. I will subscribe and I will put the, when that's open, I'll put that in the show notes because I just think that you are incredible and I really can't thank you enough for spending time with me. I hear a lot of writing advice all the time and, and you have just said like 17 things that have blown me apart that I just, I just can't wait to get back to the page and I, I don't usually have a problem getting the page. So thank you, Michelle. You're welcome, Rachel. And I hope I didn't corrupt your readers with my weird way of writing. the best way. (laughs) Thinking, I mean, to use a cliche, but just thinking outside the box in such an exciting, vibrant, intelligent, incredible, inspiring way. You're so inspiring. I'm going to stop fangirling now. But like I said, I'm your newest, biggest fan. So... (laughs) Thank you. And thank your readers for for listening to this. Oh my gosh, they're the best. All right. Thanks, Michelle. I'll talk to you soon. Happy writing to you. Thank you. You too. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.